Peace and Black Power family, this is your host Raheem Shabazz and I am here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast and today we have a special guest in the building, ladies and gentlemen. Our special guest has appeared on Oprah, Steve Harvey, The Breakfast Club, as well as Trevor Noah. And our special guest has made appearance all over the internet for her viral video. Our special guest today is no other than Kimberly Jones. What up, Kimberly? Hey, as my grandma used to say, every day above ground is a good day. All right, all right. Now, today we are going to talk about why the contract is broken and void. And we're also going to talk about your book, How Can We Win?, which gives us a breakdown of the economic and social injustice facing black people. And it talks about how marginalized citizens um, are relegated to the bottom rung of society because of their economic status and a lot of times because of their skin color. This is true. So we're going to talk about that. But before um, we discuss your book, I want you to tell us about the making of Kimberly Jones and what was your childhood like and who was some of the elders growing up that inspired you? It's interesting because probably my biggest influence was my mother. Um, my mother was a phenomenally educated, brilliant woman, and I got to work, watch firsthand how the world did people like her dirty. Mm. Um, my mother was one of the original waitresses at the Playboy Mansion. Um, she left working for Hef and went on to work for Sears. And eventually she worked her way up at Sears to when they built the Sears Tower. She started working there before they built the Sears Tower in the 60s. And when they built the Sears Tower, they made her the supervisor of the mailroom. And that mailroom was inefficient. And so, like, you know, mail back then, in the 60s and 70s, that's the only way people got communication. So mail might come in on Monday. You might not get it till Friday because it's the tallest office building in the world by the time her team sorted it, got it upstairs. It could take days. And so my mother worked with some engineers at Bell and Howe and and was a really a, a pioneer in AI. She built, um, she programmed it and Bell and Howe built it. She built a robot that delivered the mail in the Sears Tower so mm. she could use all of her staff just to sort. They would load the robots. They kind of looked like big file machines that moved throughout the building and they knew which floors they were on and everything. Mm-hmm. And my mother, they took the patent from my mother. My mother never got paid for that creation. Um, and we still lived in the wild hundreds on the south side of Chicago in the hood. Wow. And so it's like seeing that firsthand, looking at how brilliant a woman my mother was and just so many other incidents like that that happened to her throughout her lifetime. And towards the end, I'm going to be very honest, before my mother passed, my mother was a very broken and bitter woman. Mm. And it was because of how life treated her, despite the fact that that's a genius in the ground. Yeah. And so that you come from greatness, someone that was a genius. And I I know um, seeing her go through strife and everything, it built you for who you are today. For sure. Yes. Award winning (laughs) author. And speaking of your activism, you have on a shirt. 
Mm-hmm. And your show says Jamarion Robinson. Right. Am I pronouncing that right? Yep, that's how you say Jamarion Ross Robinson. And what's ironic about that is the first time that I physically met you, mm-hmm. um, it was at a protest. Yeah. Um, for um the young man. And for those that don't know, uh Jamarion Robinson uh is a young man that lived in Atlanta mm-hmm. and he were he had 76 bullet holes in him. Yep. And, and and out of the uh, 76, 59 was entry wounds yep. and 17 was exit wounds. And this was done by the state-sanctioned murder uh, with the Atlanta Police Department. And to this day, there has been no justice for this young man. There has been no justice. The, further, the furthest we have gotten this case, and this is after years and years of working with his mom and different organizers, the furthest we have gotten this case is we finally did get an indictment um, of those officers this past winter. We got an indictment, but that took five years. Five years. It took five years to get that indictment. And if anybody knows anything about the legal system and the law, you know the further you move away from the case, the more difficult it gets to win the case. Absolutely. So we have an indictment. They're going to go to trial. But it's like now we're five years away, you know, from the incident. It's like witnesses don't know their stories like mm-hmm. they did back Evidence then. got destroyed. Evidence got destroyed. It's like it's so much that has happened that's going to have a negative effect on the case at this point. And really, to me, I feel like that's by design. Let me ask you something. Was it a federal indictment or a state indictment? It was a state indictment. So um, this district attorney that's in there now is the one that brought forth the indictment? Right. She is. Okay. Okay. Yep. Fonnie Willis. Mm, That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a federal indictment. No. um, It should be. Absolutely. Because I also feel like that's where we're going to get in in trouble with the case because it wasn't just the local police. It was the, I believe, I may not get this exactly right, but it was like the sheriff's department. It was several agencies working together on a task force that came to get him. So what's going to end up happening is everybody's going to start pointing the finger. Oh, it wasn't my department. It was your department. Oh, it wasn't your department. It was my department. And I feel like that's where it's going to get murky. You know, I want to stay positive because I want to stay positive for the family, especially for his mother, um, Monteria, who has mm-hmm. been a warrior yeah. in fighting for her son. But it's like these little kind of like tricks of the game are where these cases get murky. But just like with anything else, once fingers start getting pointed, pointed you know no one's gonna want to take the blame and um they're gonna start telling on each other and that's when the truth is gonna come out because someone shot that young man and um i actually went to the crime scene Mm -hmm. and they still had the bullets in the uh floorboard right so they stood over him and and shot in there um and and it was just sad you know um to see the the blood soaked rug and, and the blood on the wall and you can see where they dragged his body down the, the stairs. Steps. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 dealing with um spiritual wickedness in high places. No, and that's that's very, very real. And to your point, um that's what helped get the indictment that one of the officers flipped. Mm. One of the officers flipped. And, and said he couldn't he said, I can't go through this. I gotta said, tell. I gotta tell the truth. Mm. Gotta tell the truth. Well telling the truth I want you to tell the truth, <laughs> as you always do, and we're going to talk about your book, and it, it, it's crazy because we always bump into each other, right? I want to mm-hmm. let y'all know um, that she's not just an activist, 
Um, I, I seen you out at community functions. Mm-hmm. I seen you out at protests. Mm-hmm. And most times you only see activists at protests. Right. But I seen you at grand openings of black businesses. <laughs> yes. So you are very in, involved in um, the culture here in Atlanta. Yeah. So your book, How to Win. Tell me a little bit about your book and what gave you the idea to write this book. So after the video went viral um, and the theme of the video was how can we win? And it, and I said that out of a point of frustration of saying with so much stacked against us, like how can we win? <laughs> like we can't win. The game is fixed. So when I went back and, and later as I was sit, sitting down and thinking about it and publishers were reaching out to me, asking me to write a book to continue the conversation mm-hmm. from the video, I was like, what I don't want to give my people is more hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Because I don't like people who sell hopelessness. Because if you convince people to be hopeless, a hopeless man won't move. Mm. A hopeless man won't do anything. Mm. A hopeless man will stand still because they'll throw their hands up and say, "Ain't no hope." I mean, what's the point? We ain't gonna win. So I didn't want to. I would. I didn't want to land there. I wanted to figure out. I really sat down and I wanted to figure out ways to bring my people hope. And so that's why, even though the video is called "How Can We Win," I titled the book "How We Can Win," mm. um, because I wanted to give the history of why how we got here. But then at the end of the book, what I do is I give some ideas on how we can do collective community and come out of it. Um, and so that was my point is like, is to educate, but also to uplift. Community orientated and there's always a solution. And that's what I like to hear. But what we're going to do, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. But before we wanted to go to this commercial break, I, I wanted to uh, leave you with one of my favorite quotes of yours. And that is from that video, the same mm-hmm. video we talking about, How Can We Win, where you said, and you're lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. But you know, there may come a time if, if things doesn't um, go the way that it should. Revenge ain't off the table. Revenge ain't going to be off the table. <laughs> and there's going to be a lot of people that choose violence. And um, we have a we have a generation um, that's coming up, and I think this is the most fearless generation. Oh, the Z is so, not playing. Yeah, so you might want to be kind with them. So we're gonna take a commercial break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about changing the money game that's rigged. And so we're gonna give a little insight about that, but you're gonna have to go get this book to find out the solutions and how you can implement it. Necessary Blackness Podcast is independently owned and we do not accept sponsorship dollars from corporations. We are supported by the people such as yourself who know that in war, the first casualty is the truth. We are at war with racism and white supremacy. We must continue to tell the truth. Support us by purchasing your Necessary Blackness t-shirt by sending an email to NecessaryBlacknessPodcast at gmail.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. And for those that are just joining us, this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Before we went on our commercial break, we was talking about your lovely book, mm-hmm. How Can We Win? Race, History, and Changing the Money Game That's Rigged. Right. Um, I want you to explain some of the economic 
inequalities that us as black people, as melanated people, as foundational black Americans are facing and how can we win in this game? Yeah, it's a ripple effect that has been going on for a while. And so, you know, that old saying is true. You don't if you don't know where you've been, you don't know where you're going. Absolutely. If you don't know what has happened to you, you don't know you'll 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 buy the narrative about yourself that you're lazy, that you're a bum, that you just don't try. Why other communities move here and get ahead and we don't. You'll but there's a reason people want you to buy that narrative. And part of it is what we even see in the schools. They don't want to teach the real history of what happened to us because if they taught the real history of what happened to us, people would be empathetic towards our situation and really get up and change. See, they want to always go back to, well, slavery was so long ago, but the ripple effects of slavery are still here. Absolutely. And you don't even have to go back that far. I mean, <laughs> redlining had us in a chokehold until the 60s. Absolutely. Which means that's our parents' generation. You know what I'm saying? That's not a whole lot of generations removed. They don't want to talk about the fact that between 19 the 1920s and the 1960s, or was it the 50s? The 1920s? No, it was the 60s. The 1920s and the 1960s, the U.S. government underwrote $200 billion in home lending, and 98% of that went to white America. So while they were giving us the projects, they mm. were giving them a road to home ownership, which is the quickest way to build generational wealth is by owning of a home. Absolutely. Yeah, they built the suburbs and put out these loans for these $9,000 homes that they just basically gave to them. And then they actually had, I have copies of them in my house. They actually had in the mortgages saying that you could not resell these homes to blacks or Jews. And you know what's crazy about that, right? When you look at it, right, the 1940s and 1950s with FHA, those homes that you're talking about was $10,000. Today, $10, those homes are worth $500,000. Exactly. So you robbed every black family of $500,000. Exactly. In today's time. In today's time. And then don't even get me started on redlining where the banks actually put red lines around black communities saying they wouldn't lend in those communities for to start businesses, to do remodels on the homes that they have. And don't talk to me about how our neighborhoods look bad when I see street sweepers right now to this day in upper neighborhoods like here in Atlanta and Buckhead. I ain't never see a street sweeper. There was no signs up on the on the poles saying street sweeping Tuesday through Thursday. Don't be on the side of the street in our community for people to take trash. And we have very transient people who are taking public transportation and buses and Ubers. So if you don't have any trash receptacles in the neighborhood, where's the trash going to go? It's going to go on the ground. And then you don't have a street sweeper come and clean up. So what does that do? Then that allows you to then make those homes less valuable, which means it makes it susceptible to gentrification where people can come in and buy those homes at a large mark at a low margin, then start building up, raise the property tax. And then the legacy residents who are in their 60s, 70s and 80s who are on a fixed income can't hold Hold on to their homes because they can't pay that property. They can't pay the property tax. But then we also don't know that you could argue your taxes. You actually have a legal right to go down to the state and argue those taxes and explain why you can't pay those taxes. See, I didn't even know that. Yes. So 
And don't, I mean, I mean, Freedman's Bank, only one that wasn't um, backed up by the federal, federal government. And they had all of these white men over that bank and they were allowed to make bad investments and basically do whatever they wanted to do with the money and caused our people to lose all that money to the tune of what would be the equivalent now of $66 million. Mm, 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 and mm. so few people were able to recoup that money. And didn't, um, in the end, they, uh, Join forces with Frederick Douglass. They wanted him to take the, the L. fall. To take the fall, they right? They wanted him to take the fall. And then he even invested. And, and this is how oblivious he was to what was happening. He invested his own money at the bank when he took it over. But by then, it was already a failed system. So don't just talk to me about what happened during enslavement. I'm talking about, I could talk to you post-enslavement. And and these are the things, these are the lessons that they don't want us to learn. This is the education that they don't want us to get. Because if you understand that, when you start hearing a conversation about reparations, then you won't be stuck um, when people's argument is, well, I didn't own slaves and you weren't a slave. It goes deeper than slavery. It goes into redlining. It goes into Freeman's Bank. It goes, it goes into that home lending practice that they have. Right now to this day, there was a study that was done four years ago okay. that said that in black communities that are groomed and set at the same level as white communities, appraisers appraise those home for less. There was a black couple that ran a yeah. test. Y'all could Google it and found the article that they had their home appraised and they knew that the price that their house was appraised for wasn't good. So they went and got their white friends mm -hmm. to pose as the homeowners and had a, a different appraiser from the same company. They took all their pictures down put all of their white friends photos up and because it was now a white family the appraisal on that home went up a hundred and some thousand dollars yes yeah this yeah. is so this is still happening right now Today, that yeah. we are being economically disadvantaged you gave us the projects and welfare and dismantled the black family which was still feeling the ripple effects of and you gave them a road to generational wealth with home lending and we're not talking and don't even get me started on the GI Bill the black men the Tuskegee Airmen the 761st mm. Tank Battalion who came home for World War II and didn't have access to the same GI Bills that their counterparts who fought with them have to build wealth so this is not even just about slavery, although it is about slavery, because many companies, many of these corporations made their original money during slavery and are still making money now. And their families are still benefiting. Brooks Brothers suit. If I ever see any black man in a Brooks Brothers suit, we don't have a problem because Brooks Brothers suits made their original money during slavery. If you're selling a product, you want your product to look good. So they put them in suits. And Brooks Brothers. Who was making those suits? Y'all better off wearing a Steve Harvey suit, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So they put them in Brooks Brothers suits. Also, that's how you showcase your wealth. If your family came to visit you and your coachmen, the people who worked in the house, the, the people who served the food mm. were dressed to the nine. Who was making those suits? Brooks Brothers was making that. So that's a corporation that's still running and thriving. Well, thank God they finally shut down a few years ago. I was so thrilled when I saw that. But they had family members making money, money. off of that company for generations. Not one of those people that's like, oh, woe is me. Blackness, what I'm saying is I need you to hear that and understand that. And that brings me to my next question, right? Because when we look at the ripple effect of what happened with slavery, we look at what's continuing to go on today. We went from Jim Crow to Joe Biden and the Democrat Party, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about reparations and what that actually looks like 
and why is reparation like the uh, civil rights of the 21st century? Because I feel like me personally, I feel like I always say at the end of that speech when I when I said and they lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. I always say in that whole speech, if it was one thing I could change, I wouldn't have said equality. I would have said equity. Mm. Because I feel like the fight that we're in right now is an equity fight. Mm. Because I hate when young people be like, I'm not my ancestors. You damn right you ain't your mm-hmm. ancestors. Because for that bus boycott, your ancestors boycotted for over 300 days. I think it was 361 days, that kind of tenacity. So you're right. We ain't our ancestors. We ain't built like them. They was built tougher than us. So you may have your view on thinking that they were subdued because of the situations they were in, but they were soldiers in the situation in which they were in. So I think we do a disservice to the kings, to the bears. Rustins to all of those people to say that we're still in the fight for equi- for equality. They fought for equality, mm-hmm. and if you want to say you don't see it, man, you you kind of you you're you're spinning words for the sake of entertainment to me at that point. Mm-hmm. Because how do you not see it? Because right now I'm about to get on a plane tomorrow and go to a hotel that nobody can't tell me that I can't stay at. That's the work of King Rustin, John Lewis, all of them. I go if I go sit in a restaurant right now and they don't want to serve me, I can sue them. That's the work of King Rustin, John Lewis, all of them. So don't say that their work didn't make life easier for you because it did. Mm -hmm. But what you can say is there's still a whole lot lot of work work. that needs to be done. Let's talk about it, sis. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, no, I don't feel like we need to say we're in a fight of equality. First of all, I don't even like that language. I don't need you to tell me now I'm equal when I know I'm a superior being. Like, I don't need you to, I don't need your stamp of approval for my equality. That's why I get mad when these people be talking about the Oscar so white and all of this. We got the NAACP Image Awards that happens every year that is lit. I have been, I have been nominated. It's one of the most amazing award shows mm-hmm. I ever been to. But y'all don't get up there and boohoo cry and snot when you run an Image Award, <laughs> but you get up there and boohoo cry and snot when you win an Oscar because you're still looking at the white man's gaze mm. to confirm you I don't I told people from day one when I was a writer they said what award do you want I said I want an image award if I get an image award I'm Gucci mm. I don't, I don't want to be places where I'm tolerated I want to be places where I'm celebrated you should be just as thrilled to get an image nomination as you are to get an Oscar matter of fact you should be more thrilled because the people who you do your work for are then celebrating you and especially when it comes from your own people and speaking of your own people, right? Mm-hmm. We know that uh, skin folks ain't all kin folks, they right? Ain't. And just recently, out in South Carolina, uh, the sixth district of South Carolina, you have the uh, congressman Clyburn, right? Mm-hmm. He had his annual fish fry, and they asked him about reparations. And when they asked, when he heard the rep- the word reparation, it just changed his whole. Uh, uh, persona you know mm-hmm. what i mean his whole energy was off and he literally said why y'all fucking with me this is a man that has been in uh congress for over 30 years and like i said he's in the sixth district of south carolina and we have a brother named i think his name is marcus or marcel or something like that that's running against him good mm-hmm. brother and i hope that brother went because this is the sixth poorest district out of 435 districts. But what do you think when, when uh, about individuals such as uh, Clyborn, uh, Maxine Waters that have been in, in office for 30 years? And, and their district's them, still poor. And, they, and, and, they and their district's, district's still, still poor. poor. What do you feel? Uh, how do you feel about that? First of all, I'm a firm believer in term limits. 
Okay. Because there's no way you can stay in tune to the world that you're living in when you and this and this is not about ageism, because I feel like our elders have a place and we should communicate with them. They have information that is imperative that we need to get from them. Mm-hmm. But how can you still be running a world that you're unaware of? Did you hear the hearings when they were having the hearings against Facebook? Most of them didn't even know how Facebook worked. Mm. <laughs> They didn't even know how Facebook works. So this is why we need term limits. And you can't tell me that the stench of the world that these people came from is not still on them. If you if you are now in office and you were born in the 20s, 30s or 40s, even 50s, that means you are a child of Jim Crow. Whether Mm -hmm. you are a black child of Jim Crow or you are a white child of Jim Crow, you are a child of Jim Crow still making the laws in a modern world. That doesn't make sense to me. You don't even know how the modern world functions. You can see that. You can see that clearly at the Facebook trials. You can see that clearly in how they're trying to regulate crypto. You can see that clearly in the way that they do not understand blockchain. They do not understand social media. So it's like, to me, we need to have term limits. You should, nobody should be able to sit in office for 30, 40 years. And the thing about us, we have to start, stop having blind allegiances and alliances and emotional attachments to these people who are not doing us well. And we have to recognize that at some point, okay, auntie, you did a, you know, you did whatever it is that you was going to do, but the gig is up. The gig is up. Get some fresh blood, some fresh eyes that understand the world that we're living in now, because they are still talking about equality. They're still using the same tricks and dips that they used in the 1950s and the 1960s and ain't the world we living in no more. Now, let me stop you right there because there's going to be somebody that hears this interview, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to see that fire and that spirit in you and they're going to say, well, what about you? Right. Why you don't run for office? What would you say to them? I feel like I work better outside the system. I feel mm-hmm. like I work better working outside the system because I feel like, and I've talked to friends of mine who are politicians who are doing the work, but even when I talk to them, they t- they talk to me deeply about the fight that they're in when they're in those spaces, mm-hmm. especially my friends who are here at the state level. You know what I'm saying? They're They're outnumbered. They're outgunned by the old guard. Mm. So yeah, they're in there, they're mixing it up and they might get one thing passed, but that's very difficult. But what I always try to tell people is, That's the other reason why I want people to know about all of the economic atrocities that have happened to us. And we talk about a lot about reparations. But what we don't talk about is there is tons of government funds right now that are sitting there that we could be utilizing in the interim that we don't even know how to go get. The bulk of a politician's job is to manage budget. And they all have a budget. There's a city budget. There's a state budget. And then each individual has a budget for their additioner, for their, for their, for their district. District, Yes. Your county commissioner has a budget. They send money back every year because we don't know how to go get the money for urban development, for arts development. I just, I just heard right now that I think in June, the um, Fulton County is about to release a million dollars for art programs. We got to know how to go get that money for the, for the improvement of our people. And the thing about it is once you get it and everybody, you know, talking about, Oh, I don't want the government's money. Then they going to have their hand on my neck. No, they not. They just had the resurgent grant. And, um, this is the second extension because they wasn't able to give out all the money. Yep. And the, 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 the sad part of it is a lot of people didn't know. 
Right. You know what I mean? So they do have a problem with using social media and getting the word out of it. Right. Um, now that people know, they released a lot of restrictions to make it so much easier for you. Because right. a lot of this money is left over from the CARE Act. Right. And if it doesn't go out by the end of the fiscal year, it's going back to the government. Exactly. So you might as well get it. Because guess what? If you don't get it, I'm going to get it. You feel me? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get it. But listen, we're going to come back, right? And we're going to talk about this big anniversary that's coming up. Yes. So I want y'all to stay tuned. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast. I am your host, Raheem Shabazz. And I am sitting with award-winning author and activist, Kimberly Jones. So we're going to talk about this uh, anniversary. We, she's going to tell us how you can get her book. And we're going to talk about some other things. Make sure y'all stay tuned. This is Raheem Shabazz, Necessary Blackness. Where you want to start at? Let's start about um, recently, right? We was talking about um, what's going on with you. And um, we was discussing about uh, Tulsa mm -hmm. from 1921. Right. Um, recently, the court said that they could go ahead and uh, move forward with their lawsuit. A hundred years later. I think there's two survivors. Three. three oh, it's three survivors. There's three survivors. So um, they're going to see their day in court. This just goes to show you, black people, we should never give up. We better never give up. But, you know, 107 years for justice, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't want black people to use this as a celebratory moment because just because they got their day in court doesn't mean they're going to win. Right. But it just goes to show you the depth of what we go to in order to survive and that we don't give up and that we have that fire spirit. Right. So there's another anniversary coming up and I want you to discuss that. And um, I know you're going to be in Philly, so mm -hmm. you're probably going to uh, yeah. partake in what's going on at that event. So let, let our listeners know what's going on. So yeah, so even when you think about something like Tulsa, right, we still think that this stuff ended in the... 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. But Friday will be the 37th anniversary of the bombings on Move in Philadelphia. So that's 1985. So like I'm what nine years old in 1985. I'm 15. Yeah, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's like to think that something like that happens in our lifetime mm -hmm. and people still don't know about it. Um, Move was an organization, the Africas, um, Move was an organization that was self-sustained. They had these buildings in Philly and they were doing everything in-house. They were a completely self-sustained black community and movement and they have been in quite a few tussles with the Philadelphia police and the Philadelphia police were allowed to drop bombs on their buildings and to destroy them. A do over a dozen people were murdered. People That's were crazy. maimed. And then you had the leaders of MOVE who were who remains in jail. To this day. Like some of them just got out within the last couple years. There's an amazing documentary um, on HBO. Uh, shout out to shout out to my brother, Mike Africa Jr., mm -hmm. um, the ch a child of MOVE. Um, there's an amazing documentary that he did on HBO called 40 Years a Prisoner. Yeah, Talk, I've seen that. Yeah, very and good very good documentary. And so this Friday is the 37th anniversary um, of the bombing of Move. And you know, one of the people that people know the most about that is connected to that movement is Mumia Abu Jamal, who has been a political prisoner for all this time. And it's just like that's one of the things. Again, this is why 
you know, people ask me why I focus so much on history and, and, and I really consider myself like a black historian and trying to educate my people because it's like, if you don't know about that, then you don't know. We still need to be fighting. Yeah, absolutely. Like we still need to be trying to get Mumia out of jail. You know what I mean? And, and we still need restitution for the members of MOVE. And we need not to forget that. And what a lot of people don't understand, right? Like today, there's a big movement uh, to live off grid, to create a self-sustaining uh, community, right? To be vegan, to be natural. All this that we talk about. MOVE was doing Move that. MOVE was doing that in 1985. And right. you know what it was looked at? As nutcases. Yep. You don't eat meat. Yep. You don't drink. You don't smoke. You 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 just gonna grow your natural hair and your natural hair as dreads. Yep. So you really have to think what it was for them then and what it's like for us now. Everything that they wanted to do that they was prohibited from doing, we're doing that now. And and those of us that enjoy the fruits of their labor for their imprisonment, their fighting, we need to raise their voice. Yeah, on Friday everybody needs to post about move. Yeah. On Friday, everybody needs to post about Move and, and uplift that and, and post about the brother Mumia and his case and, and spread the petitions that are for him, the GoFundMe's that mm-hmm. are for him, um, all of that. I am, I am going on Friday to teach a writing class. Um, and I'm going to talk about that. I'm going Friday to teach a writing class at the Solutionary Center, um, with the brother Maj Ture, who, um, runs Black Guns Matter. Mm-hmm. But I have, I've already, you know, I already talked to Mike Africa Jr. I'm touching base with him. Him and I are going to commune on that day because I think it's kismet that, you know, I'm in the city yeah. on the day of the anniversary. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what's crazy though with, with, with the move movement and, and everything that happened? Um, most of it stands from that racist police. Yep. You know, that chief of police, so right? Pig. But you know what? It was also a black, was it a black mayor, right? Yeah. That that uh, gave the go-ahead to drop oh, that bomb. Oh, skin folks and kin folks. folks. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, listen, right? I want people to know, man, you know what I mean? Because, you know, people brag about their cars. People brag about their houses. You know what I've been doing lately? I've been bragging about my friends. You know what I mean? Like, yo. <laughs> Listen, my friends are dope. You know what they do? You know what I mean? And I, I thought I knew all that I was supposed to know about you. But y'all, you were just telling me something. I was like, wow, that's mind-blowing. So yeah. I, I want you to tell the people, man, like, they are honoring you all over the world. Tell yeah. them some of the things that you was telling me earlier. Yeah, so in Ghent, Belgium, of all places, they built, like, a 50-foot wall in my honor. Um, They painted, they did this amazing mural in my honor and it says equality is beautiful, it's by a lake. And then in the corner of it, it has the last line of my speech. It says they are lucky that what black people want is equality and not revenge. And then it has my name and the date. And it's like, of all places, Belgium. Belgium. Yeah. You said 50 feet. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is bigger than the wall that Donald Trump was trying to build, okay? (laughs) I just want to know that it's bigger than all Donald Trump was trying to do. But go ahead. And also... Yeah, um, yeah GQ Germany in 2020 made me their voice of the year. Um, and then um, there is a mural. Um, there's a mural in Oakland, California, that has a QR code on it, um, and that, that says you broke the contract. And mm. when you hit the QR code, it plays, it plays my speech. And then, like, you know... Um, 
uh, the root named me one of the most influential, one of the hundred most influential African-Americans uh, and um, the NAACP Image Awards. I got nominated. I didn't win for Outstanding Literary Work using teen, Youth and Teen. Um, my books were, my, my books that I write for teenagers were put on the books that all young Georgians should read. I got nominated for Georgia Author of the Year. It was just like so much stuff is outpouring and it's funny because when I think about that speech and the impact it had globally, I I mean, I had black MPs from the UK calling to do um, Zoom calls with me. And then I was interviewed by the BBC. I've been interviewed by press everywhere from Israel to Russia. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it had a global impact. And it's funny because that's when a lot of people discovered me. But, you know, I've been doing the work long, long, long. long. Me and Gary Chambers talk about that all the time. He's like, they saw the Connie speech and thought that's when he popped up. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he's like, no, I've been doing this a long time. But it's funny. I feel like that speech was so impactful because it was concise. Mm -hmm. And it just got right to the point and the root of the problem, which is economics. And it came from the heart. It came from the heart. And um, you had asked me earlier. Earlier about people you know who influenced me one of my greatest uh i was talking about two of my greatest influences one was uh, a woman named reverend willie t barrow um who was um back in the day jesse jackson's right hand she ran push rainbow coalition mm-hmm. and i went to after school program at push when i was little and one of my eighth grade teachers, Miss Lumpkin, who I'm, I still talk to on Facebook, she realized I had ADHD, right? And so, of course, when you have ADHD, they just chalk it up. It's like, this kid is just bad because mm-hmm. I couldn't sit still. But it's like my brain is moving fast all the time. Like, I have all this energy and information that's flowing through me and I wanted to talk and I couldn't sit still and I couldn't focus on the stuff they was teaching because it was boring to me and I just dope black female teacher who realized if I just let this kid talk for like an hour to get that energy out of her then she'll be fine for the rest of the day she'll be fine for the rest of the day so that's what she would let me do she would be like because I would spend Saturdays we had a library in Chicago that was a, a black history library and my mother used to leave me there on Saturday mornings yeah. when she would go shopping and the librarians knew me she would drop me there i would learn all this stuff about black history the the librarians the black librarians would load the table up with books for me and i would study all this stuff so she would let me teach black history for an hour in class miss lumpkin and when she realized i was a good orator so she took this this um article that reverend willie t barrow who had already been an influence in my life Mm -hmm. had written in the defender magazine a lot of people don't know i mean the newspaper a lot of people don't know about the chicago defender oh that's one of the longest and and black black newspaper yeah exactly so she had written this article in the chicago defender and and this will sound um be familiar to people and i still remember it because she put me in oratory competitions because mm-hmm. she was like this child is a good speaker you mm-hmm. know and so she gave me one of reverend's um articles and had me memorize it and, and compete and it's the first time i won an oratory competition and the opening of it i still i could i was 12 years old but i could still remember it it was we must never forget that economics was the reason the african came to america we did not arrive on america's shores like other immigrants the african came and did the work that others could or would not do we came and made others rich the slave was the backbone of the agricultural economy in the south and the textile industry in the north and so those words, man, I'm about to cry. Those words stay with me for over 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. Those words stay with me for over 30 years until 
on her behalf, mm. I was able to give it to the world. Yeah. So don't tell me about ancestral work. Mm. Somebody implanted that in a 12-year-old me for such a time as this. And you know what? The, speaking of that, right, people don't understand, you know, it, it, it takes for just one person to pour into you to yeah. have an impact that just will be life-changing, right? Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes people try to pour into you and it goes over your head. You might yeah. not agree with it, but everybody evolves. Yeah. And, and that leads me to um, uh, Kevin Samuel. He was trying to pour into you men mm -hmm. and he was trying to get the ladies straight right mm -hmm. with, with, with with some of the stuff he was saying now I, I'm gonna tell you I probably seen like seven clips right right um before um he made his transition afterwards I, I I watched a little bit more and um out of the seven five of them I didn't agree with mm -hmm. so I, I wasn't really a fan um but looking in hindsight and knowing everything that happened you know um Malcolm X, like I was telling you earlier, yeah. uh, was Detroit Red before he came Malcolm X. This man was in his early 50s, and um, he could have evolved. Yeah. You know, we don't know yeah. what, what was on the other side. What was on the other side for him. Right. One thing that I'm not going to do is celebrate that man's death, and that's what I was trying to tell a lot of people. I ain't celebrate nobody's yeah. death. Yeah. Well, I, well maybe well, a few people. Yeah, maybe a few people. <laughs> but... You know, he, he, he didn't deserve that. But what is your thoughts? At some point, we have to start having a dual narrative. And what I mean by that is, as foundational black people in this nation, we have been wronged. Absolutely. We know that a lot of our trauma is rooted in what was done to us. Mm -hmm. We know that what was done to us was systemically put in place. And we know that that has been taught through the generations. They got so good at it that they didn't even have to teach it to us anymore. They plant implanted it in us in such a way that we teach it to each other mm -hmm. generation after generation. And so they need to reckon with that. And there needs to be a reconciliation with that. That's why why we deserve reparations that's why we deserve a lot of things but simultaneously at some point we cannot wait on our oppressor to take the foot off of our our neck and we have to do some self-improvement we have to do some insular work to improve our community which is why i respect people like you like maj Teray, like um like king mm -hmm. um down in albany with what he's doing with x for boys randall king, randall yeah. king what he's doing you know, with the Exo Boys and stuff like that, because and Queen Yanajahawa, what she's doing with revolutionary healing and that kind of thing, because we do have to do some self improvement. So I don't think that it's a disservice to the community to start having some harsh, real conversations mm. in an adult way about what has broken the black family and why it hasn't been able to heal itself. And I think that having real conversations about what black men need to do and holding them accountable and what black women need to do and hold and holding them accountable, accountable. is something that we have that we have to do it's funny because red pill posted something that I liked his post and talking about Kevin Samuels and what he said was he could see um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically what he was saying is like he gets what the brother was trying to do mm -hmm. and that if you believe in reincarnation and, and solar returns, what he thinks is going to happen is that Kevin's going to return mm -hmm. and in his next time and next time that he's 
around, he's going to have a better understanding of getting done what he was trying to get done, what he was trying to do. Because at the end of the day, somebody got to step up and start healing our families. Absolutely. Somebody got to step up. And listen, me and you talked about this off the air. It ain't going to be me. I know people going to come in the comments. Well, you got so much to say you do it. That's not my ministry. You know what I mean? Like it's a couple things that's free. One of them is staying in your own lane. I'm going to be the most successful doing what it is that I do. I'm an equity and access advocate. I believe that where they're beating us is with poverty. So I fight to get equity and access. I'm always talk about money. I ain't no hardcore black capitalist. It's not about that to me. It's not about me understanding capitalism and wealth. It's about me understanding economics as it is related to the marginalization of my people. Mm. And I know that if I'm broke, then you can sit in my neighborhood in a cop car on a weekend and know that you can run tags and you're going to find at least 12 people that don't have registration. Because if I'm working a $9, $10 an hour job, I can afford my car, but I can't afford the registration. I can't afford the insurance. Mm. And the Marta bus is going to stop running at a certain time. And if I don't get off at three or four o'clock in the morning, I got to use this car to get back and work. So I know I'm an easy target. And that easy target is due to my my impoverishment. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to get a ticket and they're going to make you pay for it or they're going to put you on probation. And that 15th Amendment, which is slavery by a new name, is going to come into effect saying that I can't work anywhere for free unless it's within the criminal system. So for me, since I understand equity and access and I've studied that, and I focused my energy on that. We talked about this. I mm-hmm. used to be all over the place. If the cops killed somebody, I was down there. If a mother lost her baby, I was down there. Mm-hmm. If this happened, I was down there. But what I realized is that I was doing my community a disservice by not being specialized. Environmental activists only want to talk to you about the environment. That doesn't mean that they don't empathize with police brutality. What it means mm-hmm. is they have specialized in something where they think they can make real meaningful impact and they got to focus on that. And so for me, I focus on equity and access but it's really difficult to have a conversation about rebuilding the black standard of wealth in our community without talking about families because mm-hmm. wealth is built within families generational wealth generational wealth is built within families and so the quickest way, one of the quickest ways to start healing that divide is healing the relationship between black 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 men Net- and, and black, black women, women and mm-hmm. healing the family and building more strong stable children and so we have to have those conversations Mm -hmm. and it's like whether you agree with his approach or not I'm like you I didn't know I didn't agree with his approach to a lot of things Mm -hmm. I feel like even though there may have been some truth in some things that he was saying I felt like the delivery was not done in a way that was empowering those Mm, women you know what I'm saying it was it it came off as belittling but that doesn't mean that those aren't lessons that they didn't need to learn Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that we have not set up a system of delusionalness that has allowed us to have a break in our families. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'm a successful woman. And so in order for me to build on what it is that I've built, I have to have someone in the same mindset of myself. Absolutely. And listen, I don't have any daughters. I'm a mother of two sons. I got two teenage boys. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, I'm teaching my boys right now how to choose in in you know in honor of the conversation about Samuel Jones, <laughs> high value women. Yeah. 
because I know what I'm building. I know what their father is building. Their father is a is a farmer. My 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 ex is a is a is an emu farmer. Yeah. You know that that's an interesting thing for a black man. And you don't want your children. You know you building this generational wealth, and you doing all you can and all within your power for them. And they come home to, with a woman that got tattoos from her. Eyebrows all the way down. Unless she doing that because she's a dope ass tattoo artist who owns twelve tattoo shops, (laughs) then he could have all day. But you know, it 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 comes a time where you know you want to meet that same energy. Yes. So you telling you know what I was gathering is that he's telling men we got to do better. He's telling women that they have to do better. And we all have to do better. Why are people so anti doing better? You know, as successful as I am, as successful as you are always striving to do better. I went yesterday to go talk to my doctor so I could get on a better health plan because I know I needed to lose. I need to lose weight yeah. to be honest with myself to say, okay, Kim, you've you've let your health get away from you. Mm-hmm. Do something about it. And it's like, is that's that same theory when you see what's going on with critical race theory that truth equals diminishment, and it doesn't. Nah. It really doesn't. It doesn't. You know. You know what it is. The truth. When it's in, when, when, when it, it, there's an opposing view to it, more times than not, those that are opposed the view, it hurts them. It hurts them. I hear and, y'all gonna holler. Yeah, and, and it hurts them to the to to the point where a lot of them are disillusioned, you know, and they will tell an outright lie. You know, a lie don't care who tell it, and we've seen this happen. With um, like we was talking er- earlier, um, with history and why they don't want to teach it to you, is because you know racism and white supremacy plays both sides of the coin, mm-hmm. and we see that time and time and time again. So with that, I am gonna say peace and black power. It was a pleasure having always, you here. always good to see you. And, and, and you, I could I could throw a rock and hit your house. <laughs> you right across the street from me. Yep. So yeah, you have to come back. Um, you know, and um, I'm definitely gonna take a picture. I'm gonna read this book. I'm gonna follow up. I'm gonna let you know my thoughts and ideas. Awesome. Um, and, and what, the good thing about it, I just finished a book two days ago, so I was due for a book. I, I always, once I finish one book, I always have another one on the ready to uh start reading. And look, I got ADHD, so. I- write my books like my mind works. I write them quick and concise. Yeah. So I always tell people, reading my books are not an undertaking. They always short. They always fast, but they always loaded with information. And you know what? I could read this in one day. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you get them big books. Like you seen Blueprint, the Black Power. Yes. <laughs> oh, like Lord. This. Yeah, I got that. I don't even yeah. have a attention span. I got to read it in chunks. Yeah, 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 yeah. But all right. Peace and Black Power family. We out of here. Raheem Shabazz. Necessary Blackness Podcast. And for those that you can't be just joining us because we're already at the end. You missed it. You better hit that rewind button. You better put this in your save folder and continue to listen to this from time to time because there was a lot of jewels being dropped. I'm out. Peace.